We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. George Orwell, one of the most popular writers of all time. We're going back to some humble beginnings today. Oh, shooting an elephant. Man, I was almost in tears with this one. It's a tearjerker. George, you're killing me. Or killing the elephant. Spoilers. It's actually rather interesting. <laughs> Did you know back in 1922, he actually joined the Indian Imperial Police? Oh, I did some deep dive research and that there is rumors that this is autobiographical and that he actually shot an elephant. We're going to have a show off here because I've got information from my boy, Bernard Crick, who's also a biographer, who's calling into question that, that says that it is unlikely that he would have done some of these things, even though there is rumors that it's true. So we have what is a contentious little story here. I'm feeling, I'm feeling spicy. (laughs) (laughs) It's worth pointing out though, that the name Orwell, right? Orwellian is a term that even came out like very against totalitarian rule, very against states oppressing power upon individuals, and very against... <laughs> I want to choose my words closely here because I think this is a complex situation where you can... And, and I think he... You know what? Let's go through the story because I think he articulates it very well with these characters, the complex nature of the situation, of of hating what you're doing and then also and also hating your I guess there's definitely a complex story of inner turmoil versus outward expectations and outward appearances for the public all wrapped up in this little historical bundle of joy so the plot not sure like we said if the if it's a narrator if it's George Orwell we're supposed to be imagining here don't care we're just going to go through this story right the narrator is a police force member in lower burma during intense anti-European sentiment for the locals. Now, they won't start riots, but they may spit their juice on you. (laughs) I laughed at that. (laughs) It was pretty funny. The narrator has this divide of what he wants to be and what the people actually see him as. We'll have to go through that. The narrator receives a call from the sub-inspector that an elephant is ravaging a bazaar. Can he please come down and do something about it? So he heads down, investigates, and stumbles upon a dead body of a a local individual. He immediately orders a more powerful elephant gun. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Call in the tanks! (laughs) (laughs) He follows the tracks down to the rice fields, where the locals start to follow him. He's he's gathering a a crowd as he heads down with his elephant gun. And the narrator begins to feel pressure. He doesn't want to be laughed at as the white guy amongst a bunch of Easterners. The elephant appears to be peaceful, and he feels he doesn't want to shoot this elephant. He asks the locals, well, what's it doing? And they're like, oh, it only attacks if it's provoked. Great. (laughs) Ultimately, he takes three shots on this elephant and and fells the elephant, but it doesn't die. It continues to breathe, and he comes over and continues to pump it full of lead. (laughs) It just doesn't die. So he leaves. 
as the elephant sits there, and uh, he hears later that it took an, uh, the elephant an hour to die. And uh, he learned it was stripped of its meat and tusks by the locals by the afternoon. And plot. The allegory here of the historical context and then whether mm-hmm. it's true or not, there is yeah. so much here. It's so meaty, no pun intended. This, <laughs> this is, well played. This is a great story just from a historical perspective. I think it's also riveting from a narrative perspective. And I also think it's heartbreaking when you think about the implications of the historical meaning behind the story. It, it, it's, a, it's a wallop of a story, I'd say. Agreed. Let's start with the opening line here. In Lower Burma, I was hated by large numbers of people. The only time in my life that I have been important enough for this to happen to me. Wow. <laughs> what an interesting concept about power and fame and how the two, you can't conflate the two. Right. Like just because there is a strong correlation does not mean that they are directly connected. And I would say this narrator, would you say when it comes to the fame, would you say he hates his fame in that sense? I think he resents it, but I don't think he hates it because I don't know. He he feels bad for what he has to do, but he, secretly, I think he likes having that power. And if we look at this from a historical standpoint of the British over the Indian people, I think I think that he likes lording that power over them. So he resents it, maybe how he came about the power, but I don't think he hates it. It starts out with empathy, right? He feels empathy for the locals, and that's good, right? I don't think anyone's going to say, oh, that's bad. But that's, empathy's not the end, right? Empathy's the beginning of building a bridge and a connection with people. And I think to your point, you have this line where he says, theoretically and secretly, of course, I was all for the Burmese and all against their oppressors, the British. And you can't help but, to your point, wonder, what do you mean theoretically you're for that? Is there a reservation as to where you're happy that your people have the power still? And I I kind of felt that that might, might be what's implied here. Yeah, and you said in the recap that they weren't going to riot, but they would spit on you. So he's not afraid of like physically being, you know, hurt or anything. But he's he's afraid of his little feelings being hurt. Right? Is more that that he thinks is going to happen. Well, it's kind of like he. There's internally what you assign yourself. I'm empathetic. I'm for these people. But then there's also externally what's assigned to you. Some people call that what you do, what you pretend to be. And he is a symbol of oppression here. And regardless of if he was slightly nicer, regardless if he was internally empathetic, he was still there to uphold and enforce certain levels of power, depriving locals of their own freedoms, right? And that's this conflict of like, okay, you could say they're different, like what you think versus what you pretend to be. But there's going to be a time where those have to clash. And which side you choose is very telling of what you really believe, I think. Well, and here he makes the choice to ultimately kill the elephant, but he does it out of fear, right? That these people won't respect him as a police officer if he doesn't do something to protect them. And he's just demonstrating his responsibility as a police officer for the the fear of them, you know, looking like he's weak. 
Well, he, there's that line, he wears a mask and his face grows to fit it, right? So people have these expectations and he has to step into, again, there's the agency. He chooses to step into that line, to into that moment. And um, I guess here's a question for you. The locals jeered him, right? Like you said, it's not hurting, hurting him physically, but emotionally, right? He, he has confliction inside him. Is it worth it to cause someone emotional stress like that if it means he decides to quit or leave or change his heart to be better? Oh, being better. That's a tough one. I think that it really demonstrates that colonial power, right? It doesn't matter what good they're going to do. They've already done so much harm by the British coming in and destroying thousands of years of culture of the Indian people this colonial power has already been unjust. And well, hang yeah, on, hang on, can... hang on. Is it worth it for the locals to mistreat him to improve their situation? Yes. Okay. I, I agree with the locals. He's okay. an outsider to them. Because here's what's crazy. He's the engine of imperialism is what he represents in the story. Because here's what's crazy when you think about it from like a colonialism, imperialism perspective is doing something to others because you think it's the right thing to do. It's best for these people is the same mentality of this is a stretch, but it's kind of the same mentality that started colonialism. Oh, you guys don't know how to live a good life. We're going to come in and fix things up. We'll, we'll tell you how to run things. We're going to take some raw materials out in the process but it's that utilitarian excuse of this is better for everyone, so we're just going to change how everything works here. Agreed. And I guess I look at it from the two points that I try to teach my students of what you were just talking about, of there is this idea of social Darwinism, that the way the British do it, their social standings is better, so you should do what we're doing. And then there's the idea of white man's burden, that the Europeans were better than the Indians, and so you should also do what we're doing. And I think upholding these norms of the social Darwinism and white man's burden of the British Empire is is what Orwell is, is doing here in this story, if we think it's him. And putting all those constraints of that imperial power in and pushing against that system is what the the, the Indian people are doing. And, and that's why I agree with them. I, I mean, do two wrongs make a right is really what it comes down to. I agree with you that, that, that they're clearly not in the wrong in the same way, but it's the same logic is what I'm struggling with, I guess, in a sense. You, you have a quote from the story where he says, besides, legally, I had done the right thing. For a mad elephant has to be killed, like a mad dog, if its owner fails to control it. Well, I think we have to come back to the idea of what does the elephant represent, and we haven't talked about that really, of is the Indian representing the Indian people, or is the elephant representing the British Empire? Because normally the British Empire is portrayed by a lion of some sort in most political cartoons. When I teach this to my students, I have them look at all these different political cartoons of the imperial age. And Britain is almost always represented by a lion. And the Indian people are usually a Bengal tiger. So mm -hmm. it's very interesting that Orwell, who obviously somewhat despises what his British Empire is doing to the Indian people here, to these Burmese people, what is that what what does that elephant really represent of him having to kill his own empire or 
kill the empire of the people that he loves. I think that's where it comes back to of of what he's trying to accomplish in the story. What does that elephant represent? Well, what is the elephant doing? It's barging into this area, destroying, you know, the local way of life. And it really, if you provoke it, right? Like they said that that's when it charges. It's when it kills. That's when it takes you down. And isn't that more representative of what an imperialist country is doing at this point in time? Oh, for sure. Now, here's another idea. What if the elephant isn't a political representation? What about if it's about a personal choice? Because this is a story about a person. This person is struggling with not wanting to do harm to the locals, but still going along with it because he has a certain face to fulfill, right? What if the elephant represents that choice, that moment where power? So let's think, here's the state question. The state, the the sub-inspector, they're telling him, you need to go kill this elephant. The people are following him. We want you to kill this elephant. What if the kill of, what the kill elephant? (laughs) What if the killing of this elephant is representative of personal choice? where a bigger power, the state, the people, pressure, are asking you to do something that you morally do not agree with, that you do not want to do, will you kill that elephant? Will you make the choice that you know is wrong in your heart anyways because of the pressure? One shot, two shot, three shot. I mean, one shot, you could maybe chalk up as an accident. Two and three are choices. (laughs) Those are clear-cut <laughs> choices you made. Uh, and I think that speaks volumes to what he was making as a choice. That And, and the descriptive detail of the elephant dying and being killed is, is almost not grotesque, but for 1922 when this came out, it feels a little bit grotesque. I, I think it's a clear choice that he's making. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things, too, that... I don't know how well I express myself. It's one of those things that like what I felt was, I don't think anyone deserves to impose their will upon others, right? For, for any possible gain, it should be a willful decision, I think. And to see the, the raw emotion of the story, particularly like, remember when they were describing the local that was killed and had like its back stripped from like the elephant running over it. And if you do take the colonial argument of the elephant representing that, Oh, that's just so heartbreaking to hear. Like, I hate it. I, I, I hope we I hope we don't see things like that in our lives. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, the atrocities that happen in India were terrible. And I, I try to go, you know, PG-13 as possible when I teach this in school to them. There, you can Google pictures out there uh, that were what happened in Africa and India and, and all throughout Asia of what all the imperialistic empires did for their their what I called M&Ms, market materials. And it's uh, it's atrocious. It's the worst humans have to offer in this story and capitulate that perfect. Well, and I think the story goes further too, right? Because he even shows how the people wanted the elephant to be killed for for meat and the tusks. Like like they were egging him on for entertainment, for value, whatever you want to call it. It's not just state power. There is general pressure on society as well, where they're looking for an end to the means for what they want too. One way I read into that is again my subjective view maybe Orwell knows what he's doing when he's writing this and doesn't want to get in too much trouble. This kind of gives him a little bit of a scapegoat of what some people saw back then as this, you know, white man's burden of, hey, we're going in here 
and we're protecting you from yourselves because you're going to shoot yourself in your foot. And if the elephant represents this, then, you know, we're, we're protecting them from themselves because these people are going to come in and do harm anyway to, to their own culture. I don't know. Maybe, well, and, maybe not. And then the man justifies it in the end, right? Like I was right to kill. I'm glad that local got killed because then I could kill the elephant, right? He also used justification as a means to an end. And I think, you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of um, crime and punishment. Remember the Napoleonic man argument from Dostoevsky argued as one of the greatest, you know, discussions about power as a means to end and being able to rewrite history where, oh, it was right because we got these great things out of it. And I think that's some of the evils that we can kind of create as mankind is justifying death, killing, murder, ravaging the land for selfish gains. And I think this is a great story to discuss those. So it comes back to our beginning question. Did he shoot an elephant in real life? <laughs> I think there's too many gory details in this story to just be made up. I, I like your story. I think we can go with that. But I think uh, I think you should check out the Bernard Crick because he does talk about like what would be the regulations at the time. Uh, what are the chances that this would have happened? And and he puts up a interesting argument for why it poss possibly is more fictional than most people want to believe. I don't know. I'll, I'll but, check it out. <laughs> Leave us a playlist down below. <laughs> well, I will provide a playlist down below for other George Orwell talks. It won't be our last. Orwell's a, a master writer. I don't know. I've been kind of slow to get him on this channel. I don't know. Do you guys want to hear us talk about more of his works? Let us know in the comments down below. My name has been Dun Una. Peace out. Peace out.